Hello, and welcome to A Retro Encounter, episode 103. Uh, I'm Robert Fenner. Joining me today are Mike Solosi. Hey, everybody. And Hilary Andra. Hi. And this week, we are taking a little bit of time to look at the uh, look at the defunct 90s developer Quintet, who uh, were most well-known for their series of um, action RPGs and sort of strange hybrid games that they um, developed under uh, Enix uh, between, I want to say, 1991 and, and 1997. This is um, not the first time that you and I have talked about a defunct 90s JRPG developer on this podcast. That's, that's correct. And, you know, um, <laughs> well, Falcom are still around, uh, but this is a little bit of a sequel to our uh, Falcom encounter in, in a sense. I was as, referring um, when, to... Uh, uh, I was referring to a different episode. Um, yeah, uh, we were talking about produce. Yeah, who also our, worked for yeah, our, our, Phoenix. Our, yeah, our produce episode. Our produce, produ- produce. Well, the, that episode. One of the from two a few, from uh, a few months ago. But mm. I mean, this is, if anything, this is a, um, a quintet is a company I'm more familiar with than produce. So this is, I'm very excited to be here for this episode. Well, this is this is something of a trilogy, perhaps. Um, <laughs> you say that like <laughs> it's going to end at three. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Um, who knows what the future will hold? Uh, only, only we can tell. Uh, so, um, Hillary, uh, tell me about your uh, experience with um, with Quintet and what you know about them and how you came across their games. Sure. Well, I I mostly noticed them along with NX when I played Illusion of Gaia back in the '90s. That was the only game of theirs that I played for quite a while, mm. uh, and then I, and then. Mm-hmm. And then I went back, like, I don't know, seven or eight years later, played Soul Blazer and Tyre Enigma, and actually played Act- some of ActRaiser a lot more recently. ActRaiser is, um, is a very special game. Um, I think we'll get into that in a little bit. But um, how about you, Mike? Um, tell me about your experience with Quintet. Uh, you seem quite well acquainted. It's, pr- it's pretty similar to Hillary's. Um, I played Illusion of Gaia sometime in the 90s. And uh, was a little perplexed, but quite enamored with that game for a while. And I believe I rented Act Razor a couple of times. But then when I uh, was, you know, pursuing playing many uh, Super Nintendo and Super Famicom games in perhaps with perhaps less than legal means, I played Terra Enigma and uh, and Act Razor two and fi- and revisited Act Razor quite a bit when I was uh, um, doing all that. And I recently. Like recently, three or four years ago, uh, got um, the Wii Virtual Console version of Act Razor and revisited that. Which That's was so a, great that that was available. Which was a blast. Yeah, that, that, that Act Razor is a special Super Nintendo game. I, I'm, I'm a little bummed it isn't in the SNES Classic. But uh, yeah, I I've played a lot of Illusion of Gaia, Terra Enigma, and Act Razor, and a bit of Act Razor too. Did you guys have the Illusion of Gaia shirt? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I, I did not. I don't think my version came with a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I had the shirt as well, Hillary. Um, and awesome. boy, uh, I thought that I looked so cool in that shirt, and my classmates did not feel the same. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, um, I got a, <laughs> a high-five yeah. from a really... So I was actually at a convention a while ago, and I was wearing it, and I got a high-five. Oh, wow. Yeah, I got a high-five from a really kind of like burly muscular looking guy who i wasn't even sure if he was an attendee but he was like yeah that's an awesome shirt so <laughs> i could <laughs> see all... um i could see you rocking that as an adult yeah <laughs> i i would i i think i chewed up the front of mine and, and they had to go in the bin but um oh, 
<laughs> I was a shirtshirer um, as well. I didn't. My I didn't run yeah. through. I ran. Okay. Yeah. I ran through t-shirts quickly as a child. There we go. Some uh, yep. some uh, 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 pre uh, pre pubescent angst uh, shared uh, shared here between the two of us. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Love for weird uh, '90s developers and <laughs> and chewing our shirts. <laughs> Um, I um, I came to Quintet um, pretty much in the same way as as uh, both of you. Uh, I got a Super Nintendo around 1994, uh, and then I was just trying to get my hands on all the RPGs and action RPGs that had come out before then. Um, a lot of them were like off store shelves by that time, but I rented Soul Blazer a lot. And then um, I want to uh, 1994 when Illusion of Gaia came out, and I, I begged my mom to get me a copy and. Um, I I played a heck of a lot of that and enjoyed it a lot and then you know I I went back and played um I played quite a bit of Robotrek um and I didn't come to ActRaiser until much later in fact I played ActRaiser 2 and it didn't do anything for me at all so I figured like well the first one is just going to be like this and I completely missed out on what made ActRaiser so special until yeah. like maybe like 2001 or 2002 when I really sat down and played it. Yeah, my feelings were almost happened in the opposite order. I loved ActRaiser as a kid renting it and then loved it even more when I played it later and uh, got further in it. But when I tried ActRaiser 2, I'm like, what on earth is this? This is BS. This is not my ActRaiser. It's not good. <laughs> and, and it, it's it, um, I mean, ActRaiser 2 basically removes all of the simulation and RPG and city building elements and it's just mm-hmm. a, it's just a very challenging game uh, 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 challenging side scroller, similar to maybe a Castlevania game, but oh. but 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 really hard. And th- like the action in it is competent, but it's it, it well it's too challenging. And I only uh, and one of my weirdly one of my friends from a different website uh, is one of the world's leading ActRaiser two speedrunners. And I do not know what? I do not know how on earth he lives with himself because that sounds like that sounds like masochism to me. I guess it would lend itself pretty nicely to the speedrun because you don't have um, the more uh, god sim elements. But his name know, is, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to do it. I didn't like it. His name is his name is PJ D Cesar. If you want to if you want to follow an interesting speedrunner, but man, I don't want to play that game anymore. PJ, we're calling you out. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out, PJ. Um, yeah, and then like I moved to the UK in um, in 1996, and um, we had a real issue here where like no RPGs came out, and I mean Square didn't have uh, a distributor a distributor here for a long time. Uh, the first Final Fantasy game to come out here was Seven, so like I brought all my RPGs with me, and then like when I went back to the states, I'd have to like go with some spending money and and <laughs> get the games that I wanted. Um, but then, you know, I was over here and it was like, oh, Terranigma came out. And I was like, oh, wow, this looks amazing. And I bought a copy and a converter and I couldn't get it to work. Um, and then I was like, well, it's fine. I'll just buy a copy in America. And then, like, I went back and there was no Terranigma to be found anywhere. I went to, like, every store in Overland Park. Uh, and, and, you know, later I found out, oh, that's because for some reason it only it got a UK uh, or a uh, Europe only release. Um, so that sucked, and like I persuaded a friend of mine from school to bring over his pal Super Nintendo, and we played through most of it in a weekend. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, so I, I didn't really get a chance to go through that until much later as well. But um, I think I've still got my copy somewhere. Um, but yeah, that's Quintet podcast over. <laughs> no, um, 
Uh, so Quinta, they're quite, they're quite closely uh, linked to Falcom. Uh, most of the movers and shakers in Quintet uh, split off from Falcom in 1989. Um, notably, it was founded by uh, Tomoyoshi Miyazaki, who directed Ease 1 and 2. Uh, and the other key member of staff was uh, Masaya Hashimoto, who was the programmer for Ease 1 and 2. So, um, so we've, got that, we've got that Ease connection here, um, which kind of makes a little bit of sense, thinking about how Ease 1 is so... Um, I don't want to say seminal, but so influential um, in the realm of the Japanese action RPG genre to see um, that to see those ideas evolve into um, what was primarily a developer of action RPGs for for quite a while. Um, other key members of staff were um, Ayano um, Ayano Koshiro, uh, Yuzo Koshiro's sister, who was a uh, graphic artist. And um, Yuzo Koshiro himself was uh, working with Quintet quite a bit, but um, he wasn't a full member of staff. He was on retainer from Ancient. So um, yeah, so quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of pedigree there. Um, and, uh, I'm not I've, really sure what caused the schism, but uh, go ahead, Mike. I've told you this before, Robert. Maybe I've mentioned it on podcasts as well, but I saw Yuzo Koshiro DJ a live set at a convention several years ago. I'm and, so envious of that. And I I was jumping up and down like a child that had just eaten so many pixie sticks when he started when he started the act razor portion of his set i've seen that video (laughs) oh you have yeah (laughs) well but it's uh it's it's excellent it was so it was so cool uh getting to um see that guy uh perform he's such a legend and like the more i i sort of poke my uh poke into the history and and broad you know uh culture of game music the more yuzo koshiro pops up that dude is insane he is incredibly talented and i like how he draws from so many different styles um there there's not really anybody else like him uh working uh working in game music he's absolutely one of my favorites as well um so um so the name quintet uh first popped up in 1987 in the credits of uh, legacy of the wizard on nes or, or dragon slayer 4 uh drazel family um and apparently this was a complete coincidence um some quintet employees um worked on this game but not any of the main guys who started the company so was that um, like was that maybe part of the transition tra- transition from falcom to quintet for some of these guys well, I mean, it's hard to tell. There's some very conflicting interviews out there. Like some huh. uh, some people who worked on that game said that uh, it was just an internal nickname for the uh, p- for the core staff of that particular game. Um, the founders of Quintet said that they had no idea that that name was used in the game. Um, another account says that the Quintet referred to the five playable characters. So um, it, it's hard to say, but. Um, uh, Noriyoshi Akiba and Takahiro Ora um, were both um, high up on that game and both became um, programmers and uh, graphic designers at Quintet. So who knows, really? <laughs> I can't really say. Um, I haven't the funniest. But, yeah. But um, uh, moving right along, uh, Quintet's first game was um, ActRaiser in 1991, um, which was a very, um, a very, very unique game. Uh, or 1990, in fact, um, that combined fantastical side-scrolling um, platforming, hacking and slashing, with this god sim that it kind of felt like um, like the console Sim City take on something like Populous, you know? Kind of, yeah. It's a, yeah, yeah. It's it's a, a it's basically a top-down shooter where um 
where there's several cities or small settlements, and by flying around with your little angel avatar and shooting um, demons and and helping the town grow in certain directions, and per and perhaps even using your spells to affect the terrain, like uh, uh, uh -huh. uh, sometimes it gets a little dark. Like when, when, once you um uh once you get the option to grow start growing wheat instead of rice, or maybe it's corn instead of rice. Uh, the the optimum way to fix the first couple towns is to burn down all their rice fields with a with a big apocalypse and have them regrow everything with wheat. But uh, well, uh, the master giveth, the master taketh away. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it is basically a god sim where it's it's part an action game where you're fighting off little sort of bat like demon enemies and helping this town grow. And uh, and there's I believe it's six zones or six towns where you do this of different types of terrain and different problems they encounter, and you have to um, complete a platforming stage before you, before the town begins worshiping you, and at the end of the town's growth, as like sort of a final boss. So that it's basically twelve of these action stages, and then a, a sort of gauntlet to the final boss. Hmm. Um. There's a lot of ideas um, in ActRaiser that carry over to um, a number of Quintet's other titles. I mean, particularly their Heaven and Earth trilogy uh, is very much about using force to restore a region and and become like something of a savior character. Uh, or, 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 savior or even guide, or maybe even just the idea of guiding human progress, which I'm, yeah, the third act of Terra Enigma is all about that. And it like when I. Even I didn't necessarily make the Act Razor Terra Enigma connection of like uh, at least cinematically when I first played Terra Enigma, but yeah. man, that game is some has some really weird, crazy concepts at work. Yeah, it we, is. We, I, mean, we, I was not, sorry to interrupt you again, man, but we uh, um, Retro Encounter did do a, three episodes on Terra Enigma in our first year of um, of podcasting. I was not on the. I don't think either you or nor I were on those episodes. No, but, check uh, those out, though, folks. They're really cool. Yeah, but man, there's no other game like Terra Enigma. It's it's completely wild. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because having played Terra Enigma first and then going back and seeing Actraiser after the fact, mm. you can you can really kind of see where a little bit of that that inspiration came from and how they put a really big twist on it in Terra Enigma. Mm hmm. Hmm. Indeed. But yeah, but I, I guess going back to Actraiser, that game is. It does get quite challenging. I mean, I think I've maybe mentioned this before. I've never been finished Act Razor because the the final task is defeating the six um, Act bosses and then a final boss all in a row with minimal with minimal healing and stuff in between. And I usually had to use all of my healing and magic just to beat one of those bosses. So I I, uh, I got to the final final boss a couple times, but I've never finished the game. It's uh, they did this in Illusion of Gaia as well. I I can't remember if they did it in Terranigma or not. It's easier in Illusion of Gaia because I mean, yeah. uh, Freedan and Shadow are way stronger than your than your like dumbass little <laughs> god with a with a tiny sword. <laughs> in actually, little horned helmet. Yeah, <laughs> is, it, is it a winged helmet or a horned helmet? Oh, uh, one of the two. It's it, it's got flourishes. Yeah, it's he's, he's got a he, he has a very sort of classical god design to him, and it, and I always thought it was kind of a neat little trick way. Uh, um, in every act raiser stage, it's a uh, a little beam of light comes down and hits a, a statue of the god, and he and yes. then he sort and then he sort of uh, takes form from that. It was a that's so fun. Yeah, it, it was it was it was a, a cool, very cool little touch. But anyway, act raiser's end boss is way too damn challenging. But the meat of the game, where you go to these six locations and guide. Uh, the development of these towns, and, and then do these um, pretty flavorful, if challenging, um, platforming stages and bosses, bookending mm. bookending each town, is 
it's it's really cool. I have gone back to Act Razor just to do um, Fillmore and Bloodpool, the, the the first two towns, um, hmm. many many times. But I've only really gone the distance, I think, once or twice. Uh, it's it's a special game. I would I would love to see more games like it. Sort of a JRPG flavored god game with action elements. I don't I don't even know how to describe I mean, it without without combining eight other games. It seems like a bit of a no brainer, and it's it's very surprising to me that this um, format is so underutilized. Um, it's difficult for me to think of anything else like ActRaiser. I think um, I actually got some ActRaiser vibes from um, a game that we saw at E3 this year, um, Sakuna of Rice and Ruin, that um, oh, yeah. X is going to be putting out early next year. That's right, because she's a she's like an agriculture goddess, and you are saving yeah. saving the town and doing agriculture things. Yeah, you're yeah. harvesting and right building things up too. I mean, your your actions to restore this area are much more. Uh, they're much more micro, and you're also, you know, just in one area. But you are, you know, you're you're making making the rice grow in this um, in this uh, localized area, and you know, defeating the evil spirits. And like you, I, the demo that we played, you defeat this oil elemental, and then you're able to cook things with oil. Um, so there's like this whole cooking, and then like harvesting grain. Um, it it looks great. I'm really excited to play it um, when it's when it's complete. It is cool that you got an act raise revive from that. I that makes me more interested in playing it. Yeah, mm-hmm. hopefully, maybe it'll fill the void a little bit. <laughs> yeah, at least I still have it on the yeah. Wii Virtual Console. Yeah, um, that is that is great that that is available. It's like the one quintet game that you can get in English on um, on a Virtual Console. Um, so if you've got a Wii or a Wii U, you can snag it at a, a reasonable price. Uh, but it's it's really. <laughs> this and the rest of the games we're going to be talking about, they're um, very uh, criminally unavailable, and they really shouldn't be. Um, but we won't talk too much about ActRaiser 2. It's not an RPG. We've talked a little bit about it already. I think Mike and I don't really like it. Um, Hillary, do you have anything to say about ActRaiser 2? I've actually only played a minimal amount of it, and given mm-hmm. that platforming is not my best gaming skill, and that, yeah, even ActRaiser was a little challenging. Um, yeah. <laughs> It's it's an extremely uh, it's a very very masochistic game. Um, I just could not get to grips with it. There's like this whole like diving and floating mechanic that I could never yeah. get my head around. Yeah, your character has, your character has wings, and you can sort of double jump and then dive and then float up again. And so so and um, your basic movement and jumping is very slow and unresponsive. Yeah, it reminds. It's got me, really nice sprite art, though. It reminds me of like the uh, the bad Super Nintendo version of uh, Castlevania Dracula X. Yeah, which is, I, which is not complimentary at all. It reminds me a little bit of um, Demon's Crest, but Demon's Crest is a good game. Yeah, I like Demon's Crest a lot, and that's more of an RPG than uh, than yeah, Dracula Two. So I mean, it's, it's Demon's it's, Crest it's, is another game that's hard to get a hold of. It's such a bummer because it just feels like such a distillation and cut down of what. <laughs> of what was arguably the weakest part of ActRaiser, so um, I'm not sure um, I'm not sure what they were thinking there, but that's absolutely fine. Um, it's good for speedrunning, apparently. Um, watching, but, uh, watching PJ do his speedruns is much more fun than actually playing ActRaiser too. I bet it is. I, I've yeah, I love that kind of thing. Uh, but moving on to uh, the trilogy that uh, Quintet were. Arguably most well-known for um, the loose um, uh, Heaven and Earth trilogy, as it's been dubbed by the fan base, which began in 1992 with uh, Soul Blazer, a, um, a game that shares a lot of um, narrative and plot characteristics with ActRaiser. I would almost say it's just like an, a, a pure action RPG version of 
of uh, that style of game uh, or, or of, of what ActRaiser was trying to do thematically, where you're, uh, you're an emissary of God and all of these uh, locales have been overrun by demons and, and people have disappeared, society has uh, collapsed. And you dive into these dungeons and you, it, it feels a little bit like Dungeon Explorer in that there's these monster layers that, that spew out demons and when you kill them all, you can uh, close the layer and that will bring somebody back into town as well as give you um, a stat boost. So, um, Mike, um, so you played this one a little bit after the fact, is that right? Uh, Soul Blazer, I, I've barely played it all. No, right. I, I played a lot of Illusion of Gaia and Terra Enigma and basically no Soul Blazer. I think I played the the secret Soul Blazer stage at the end of Illusion of Gaia more than actual, oh, yeah. more than actual Soul Blazer. Huh. Yeah. Um, Hillary, you are familiar with this game, though. Yes. Basically, it, it does share a lot of characteristics with ActRaiser. Um, the air, even the different areas, it's kind of cool. They they all have themes sort of the same way ActRaiser does. Like there's a mountain, an underwater level, um, kind of like a nice hillside town is where you start out. Um, and I think my favorite my favorite thing about it is actually as you're going through because there is that mechanic with the the demons lairs. You know, you can see all the different types of creatures and people that you bring back in all the different areas kind of in little pieces, which is cool. It kind of has a nice build to it. Mm. Um, what I what I like the most about this game, I mean, I, I loved it at the time just because I loved every game in this style. But um, what really stuck out to me and has stuck with me after all these years is um, I, th- I think this is the game where we first start to see this kind of um, ponderings on um, consciousness and mortality that um, have been in um, many other uh, many other quintets games. You you know when you when you bring when you bring these people back to town, it's not just people. There's animals, there's plants, and and most of the time you can talk to them. And like I, I think there's an occasion where like a rose has a dream, and you get this item that lets you walk in 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 the dreams of of anything that is asleep so like you're in a plant's dream and it's pondering what it means to be uh, what it means to be a flower growing in the ground um i remember there's this farmer who's sad because he's lost his wife but yes like, and his wife to this goat yeah and and the wife was reincarnated as the goat who's in the pen right next to the house where this man is <laughs> yeah wow. she's just like happy to be with him which like it's it's a bit strange but um i remember finding that to be very um very ponderous yeah if you um, if you misread that you could interpret it as just the goat being deeply in love with his farmer or <laughs> <laughs> if, if i don't know how many context clues there are because i haven't played this but this is this is pretty wild for an early super nintendo game I think she pretty much like straight up says like, "Oh, I was okay. alive and now I'm a goat, but at least <laughs> yeah. I'm still with my husband." Okay, okay, okay good. She, she so, totally... you, so you so you don't just talk to the goat and it says and, and there's a heart while it looks at the farmer. <laughs> no. Okay, good. That's. <laughs> no, it's it's really interesting because this goat clearly remembers being human. Yeah, it's very sweet. Um, and there's like this there's this whole town of um of gnomes who um. Like they only like they have a really short lifespan. They only live for something like a year, but their favorite thing to do is to race snails. So oh, like so cool. they just like spend their life like <laughs> trying to ride these snails to the finish line. It's really um I guess it's like, hey, do what you love while you're alive. Um the consequences be damned. <laughs> it's Man. uh it's it's a fun uh, it's a fun little juxtaposition. 
Um, and there's all just all sorts of like weird dungeons in this game. Like you get shrunk down and you have to fight your way through like a like a doll's house and a uh, miniature town, and and you fight these toy tanks and toy soldiers. It's it's all over the place. It's very. Um, it feels very arty in the same way that um, Mike, when we did our episode on on produce. Um, it's got a little bit of a similar vibe to, to Mystic Arc, I'd say. Not quite as avant-garde as that game, but there's definitely, um, they're definitely trying to do something more than just like the save the world uh, type of story. There's there's so much bizarre subtext going on beneath the surface of Soul Blazer. Wow, yeah, I, I don't know what to expect. Uh, I didn't really know what to expect from your description of it. Um, Illusion of Gaia definitely deals with a lot of the same issues of mortality and goes some stri- uh, some strange places. It does. But uh, I don't know if it's anything quite as strange as, uh, as you know, entering anyone's dreams and watching a goat dream of being a human uh, again. It, it's... This seems like a special game. I might need to revisit this. I, it's absolutely worth doing. Um, I, I'd say that the two share a lot of characteristics. I think Soul Blazer is... Um, I think it's asking the question of, of you know, uh, like maybe the wider question of, uh, of what consciousness is and what existence is. Whereas Illusion of Gaia is, um, I'd say maybe directly um, questioning different sides of humanity. It seems like a, it's a little bit more grounded, and it's more. Um, I think it's a little bit more um, uh, direct and confrontational in some ways. I mean, Illusion of Gaia has the, these core characters of these five or six children. Let's and, move right on to oh, Illusion oh, okay. of Gaia. Yeah, are, <laughs> as are, in, yes, please continue. <laughs> well, yeah, it, there's, it's, the, it's five or six children, or I think it's maybe it's five, then they meet a sixth uh, shortly after their journey begins. Um, going on a journey that's, I, I would say, probably of self-discovery, and very strange different things happen to each of the children. It, like, uh, uh, one of them turns into a whale, two of them uh, fall in love and sort of disappear together, and while, uh, while one of them stays with Will, the main character, until the very end to um, defeat uh, uh, the Dark Gaia god that is, um, that, is threat- that is threatening to consume the world. But while, while you're doing it, it, it's, it, it <sighs> there's so much weird things going on with Illusion of Gaia. Almost all of the dungeons and several of the... Uh, of the set pieces that aren't attached to dungeons are inspired by uh, real-world ruins. That's right, almost all of them. Just I about think. all of them, and, and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. just, and even like uh, Mew, which is the sort of an Easter Island kind of thing, is is based on a uh, sort of an Atlantis-like missing civilization from the alleged from the Pacific. But it, yeah, it, it's like like there's a uh, I think um, the on early stages of Mayan temple. Angkor Wat, which is a temple in Cambodia, is a late stage. Uh, an Egyptian pyramid is a late stage. There's Mew. You go to the Great Wall of China. Yeah, there's the Great Wall of China. It's it, it's like you're doing a tour of um, monuments in world civilization, and but but they're all taken over by demons or corrupted in some way. And and the things that happen to the core characters as you journey here are, you know, are are sort of a deep and dark exploration of humanity. And I think that is interesting that you bring up that the dungeons in illusion of gaia are based off of actual locations because i think that is one of the one of the reasons why it it might feel kind of much more direct because it's sort of bringing in some real world elements whereas soul blazer was just definitely a little bit more i think the the 
I almost want to say archetypical kind of places. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the Incan ruins were my favorite. Mm. Is that um is that is that uh, is that the first level or is that the um or is that the Nazca lines? I no, can't remember which um, one. The, 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 uh, the first level is it's either Incan or Mayan. I think you're right. I think it is. Oh, Inca. it's the, it, it is, is the Incan ruins. I think it is because Incan. it's the um the ship of gold is at the bottom. Yeah, <laughs> That's and, right. and it's uh, and it's very mountainous and like your uh their, your flute even when you play your flute there it even sort of does sort of like a Andean pan flute kind of tones, and uh, and um. And, but the Nazca lines are right after that, and it's not really mm-hmm. a du- it's not really a dungeon. It's just a, your your team just sort of gathers and hangs out there for a while. Yeah, that's that's oh, how you get the to dungeon this in the sky. Sky garden. Above yeah, the lines. yeah, that's yeah. it. Right, right, right. That's it. Man, it's been so long since I played this, but I played it a lot as a kid. I, I went through it start to finish at least twice. But uh, my favorite dungeon is Mew, the weird one where you're uh, where your ship where you your shipwrecked, and then your friend that's turned into a whale uh, rescues you at the end of it and takes you back to land. Be- just because it, like it, it, it was the so, anime vampire couple. <laughs> yeah, it was so dark. It, it, so it was much. it was real weird. And then the and the duo of anime vampires at the end, which are mm. a fairly challenging boss. Oh yeah, was a uh, really tough. Yeah, it was um, it, that's just really remember memorable to me. And that's near the middle of the game and sort of represents a bit of a turning point because starting from there. Uh, you start to sort of lose your party members one by one mm-hmm. to uh, strange circumstances. Oh, don't mm. they have like? I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but at the end of that sequence, isn't there sort of like a red wire, blue wire? Like one of your friends is tied. I think it's Eric. Is like tied yeah, to a bomb. Yeah, Eric's tied to the, the bomb. bomb. Yeah, but um, that's e- the timer for the boss battle. It's horrible. Yeah, right. But and and, and uh, both wires will save him. But it's uh, but it, it really does add a, a bit to the stress of the game. And there's a, there's a, one of the most memorable sequences to me isn't in a dungeon at all, but it's after Mew, the uh, sort of port town you're in. You have to play a like a sort of a Russian roulette game with this. Oh, uh, Russian glass! I love that segment. Yeah, That's we, so yeah, dark. yeah, it's so dark. With the, you basically have to play. Um, I, I guess I guess is is it called Russian glasses? But it's a uh, you just you continually dr- have this drinking game with a local father. Who's trying to um, make money for his uh, for his wife and wife and son, and uh, and and basically you have to you have to win and have and watch him drink poison and die, so you can so you can get off the t- uh, get on a, a boat out of town, I think. And you and you kind of know it's a fixed game because Will yeah. is psychic. Yeah, because mm. Will's psych- Will psychic, and he knows that where the where the poison in the glass is. But it's just um, Illusion of Gaia has so many of these strange moments in it that are so surreal. Playing uh, um, playing through it and experiencing it, that yeah. it, it didn't feel like any other RPG I'd played at no. the time. Can we talk about Frieza for a minute? Because that whoa, you sure can. I <laughs> wanted to bring that up next. Yeah, so Hillary, please go right ahead. So Frieza, I think it's a pretty early on town where you go to and. At face value, when you first go there, there are flower petals falling. It's all very pretty. It's supposed to be all very charming. But as you spend time there, you learn that there is a massive slave trade. And there are awful, like, back alleys. And it's it's horrible. <laughs> it's super dark, especially because, like, you know, that's like, the, as you said, that's like the second major city that you go to after you complete this first dungeon. Yeah. So like you've, you know, you've got like this, oh, it's the young boy. He's going ahead on his on his quest. He's got the princess. They're running around together. And then like you're confronted with like this very, very serious issue that's plaguing this prosperous uh, area. And it's like, whoa, OK. I remember that being very, very affecting. Yep. 
But um, Illusion of Gaia is is filled with these kind of these moments that um, I really didn't know how to react. I mean, the Hamlet moment um, strikes out at me. Um, Kara's uh, Kara's pig Hamlet, who uh, is one of uh, arguably one of your party members through much of the game, <laughs> um, and, and, and when you end up in this um, on this like tribal village of these starving people, he, he throws himself on the fire and and commits suicide, so everybody won't Can go hungry. Him, yeah. Yeah, it's just like, oh my goodness, what is going and, on with and this somehow, game? And somehow we've gone through this whole conversation without uh, mentioning that Will, the main character who fights, you know, fights with a uh, with a flute and some special skills, can turn into a knight named Friedan and a malevolent fire spirit named Shadow to, <laughs> to, to, to go through these dungeons. Is he malevolent? Well, not really malevolent, he's just scary looking. I always got um, kind of a malevolent vibe from, from Gaia. Uh, but I guess yes. that's, I guess that's what Dark Gaia was. <laughs> yeah, but. like Dark Gaia is the sort of the dark side of of Gaia. I mean, I mean, Terra Enigma has has a similar um, plot device in place. But yeah, you, you turn into a knight named Frieden and a big fire dude named Shadow to uh um you know to, as sort of your special abilities, and uh, you have to navigate certain parts of certain dungeons as one or the other to pass through. You Actually, get... you know what? I think they were malevolent. I seem to remember that, like, Friedan was, like, an extremely brutal, uh, brutal killer, uh, uh, like, Dark Knight, who, you know, when he passed, his soul was betrothed to, to Gaia to serve uh, the greater good. So I think that's yeah, right. The, I don't the, think the, I made that up. I, I, I got the idea that they, like, like bad. <laughs> yeah, I got the idea that Will was innocent and Friedan and Shadow weren't, but I don't, I don't, yeah, totally, I think I don't right. totally remember. But uh, but I mean you have to sort of switch between them to get through different types of different dungeons because I think I think Will what is it Will can slide under some things hmm. and uh, yep. and while while Frieden can break things and Shadow can sort of pass through things it's yeah I, Will I don't can remember. also move things with the flute right but it so there's like part of the mechanics of the dungeon is when knowing when to switch into each of them even though you only get Shadow for like one and a half dungeons but uh, and Frieden I think he joins you at the first dungeon. But it's mm, yeah. it, it's a really weird, cool mechanic that sort of contributes to the dark, sort of off vibe of the game. Mm. Yeah, the dark space itself is, is is something I remember having a big impact when I first picked up this game. It was sort of like, hmm, this place, you know, you've got some nice kind like kind of peaceful music. Like I can see, I can see where this is, you know, well going on an adventure using these powers for good. But at the same time, it's a little bit unsettling. Yeah, you, little, you give me like a big old stone face looking at you in space. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm all for that. I mean, that's kind of HR Giger esque almost. Yeah. When I when I, uh, when I played a Persona game for the first time, the Velvet Room reminded me of the Dark Space. Yep. Yep. That is that is a good comparison. Mm. But yeah, that game that game is crazy. It I, like it. I I played it for the first time when I was maybe uh, ten or eleven, or maybe even more like nine or ten, and it it haunted me a little bit. Like watching a guy poison himself, watching your pet kill themselves, um, your your yeah. fr- your friends leaving you one by one, and uh, and just seeing the dark side of humanity all over the place. It it messed with me a little bit. I don't I won't say it gave me nightmares, but I thought more about the events of that game than a lot than it, it was a thought. It's a thought provoking action RPG. In a way, in a way that a lot of other Super Nintendo games aren't. It's got a very haunting, kind of sorrowful soundtrack all the way through, yeah. as well. And then, like its conclusion, which you know, I don't want to give away to anybody who hasn't played it, but like it's, 
Um, a lot of our, a lot of JRPGs have very ambiguous con- conclusions, but this is um, an especially. Uh, it's one that will make you think. Okay, what exactly has happened, and what does that mean for everybody? <laughs> um, it's it's stuck with me after all these years. Uh, but before we move on, I want to briefly mention that this was kind of an all-star game in Japan, um, not unbeknownst to us. Um, this was a big old collaboration between um, the um, notable and award-winning um, uh, shoujo manga artist um, Moto Hagio uh, and the uh, speculative science fiction writer uh, Mariko Ohara. So um, some high-profile, um, some high-profile ladies behind this, um, which was a which was a pretty big deal. And, you know, because neither of those uh, creators' works had been uh, published in the U.S. at the time, and because nobody really knew what anime was in 1994, uh, it was just uh, another action RPG brought over by oh, Nintendo. Come on. The, 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 first, <laughs> the first anime movie in North American theaters was 89 or 90. Yeah, I know, but the, the, what I mean is the I culture know, wasn't... I know, I know, I it, you know. It, like, like, like the... Um, the culture wasn't as accessible or as present as it is now. In, in, in fact, I mean, depending on what circles you run in, it might seem ever, like ever 1998 present. or 1999. When, <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, so that is Illusion of Gaia, unless um, either of you have uh, any further thoughts on it. I, I did have one last thought. It's, I, yes. I, re- I really like the arc of going from Will in the town where he grew up kind of like a straightforward adventure sort of a story about him really wanting to be an explorer like his father and find his father to just this way darker, broader story about seeing all these different faces of humanity and all these different areas of the world. Hmm. It's, pre- it's pretty cool. It is absolutely what makes this one stand out um, from from the crowd. I mean, you know, great, um, great graphics and sound and... Um, uh, mechanics aside, um, it, it it really is that sort of um, I don't want to say off kilter, but it, it's a very unusual uh, unusual look at the world around you, and it's one that's not so um, not so wondrous as it is sobering. So um, I think that's a very very good point, Hillary, and I think that's that's why anybody should play this game, even though it's difficult uh, to get hold of these days. Um, but moving right along uh, to the same year, uh, we had a Robotrack, or a slapstick as it was known in Japan. This was a, uh, a traditional RPG, uh, kind of a um, cutesy, um, as per the uh, Japanese title, a very comical RPG about a boy genius who creates these robots to uh, fight for him in this uh, wacky science fiction universe and try to find his kidnapped father, the uh, Dr. Akihabara. <laughs> So, um, <laughs> so, and he's got this laboratory that's got like a giant Super Nintendo controller as the uh, workbench. Um, it's it's adorable. Uh, Mike, I know that you're not too familiar with this one. Um, Hillary, not. have you played this at all? I haven't actually. I rented this a lot, and despite looking like a children's game, it's extremely punishing. Or at least it was when I was a kid. I just, <laughs> um, it's 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 a tough old game. Um, that it's, it's got, I guess, maybe something of a Pokemon mechanic to it. You know, you get these robot parts and then you can build, um, you can build up to three robots that have different weapons, depending on what you outfit them with. And you can, uh, name them and change their color. And, um, I don't know if I have a whole lot to say since you guys haven't played it. Um, but it did have a, like a, bit, this... a, a bit of a Pokemon vibe, especially since the, yeah. I- the images that I searched for were, uh, 
like a red, a green, and a blue one. <laughs> yeah. So, oh. uh, so it's like, oh, okay. So I guess you get all three types at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's very very colorful, and it's got these cute kind of super deformed um, robot monsters that you fight against. Um, I I remember my absolute favorite is this uh, um, meta crab, not even mecha crab, but meta crab, who's like this. It's a mech suit with a crab on top. And um, he he's like the first main antagonist who's like dogging your progress. Um, and when you blow up his robot suit, he's just like a sad little regular sized crab. And you have to like rescue him from getting beaten up by some kids like um, Urashiro Taro um, and put him back in the water. And it's <laughs> um, I felt bad for that crab. <laughs> um, but um, it's 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 a very it's a very strange game that's got. Um, a lot of lovely colors. <laughs> to, be, to be honest, I didn't revisit this one for the podcast, so um, unfortunately, I don't have a whole lot to say. Um, yeah, so maybe maybe we'll stop there. <laughs> well, if if you don't mind, and if you can remember, like I, I'm kind of I'm trying to picture how how battles would go. Like, what what sorts of options do you have? What's the format? Um, it's uh, it's like a side view, like a Final Fantasy, and you've got one robot at a time on the field, and you've okay. got you've got like this energy meter, and you you know it expends energy to move, uh, so you'll be moving from the right hand side to the left hand side uh, to get within range, uh, uh, and you know if you have enough points left over from moving, you can attack, or you'll have to wait until the next st stage. You can also um, fire gu um, guns and bombs for distance attacks, but that depletes more. Uh, energy, so you can't um, you know you can't take any more turns. Um, whereas I, th I think if you use your sword, depending on how close you are, you can probably get in multiple hits. So there's this sort of strategic um, strategic trade off to to um, to the battles, um, but in a very in quite a simplistic way. Um, there is a there's a vampire named Pinky. I like that. That's um, <laughs> That's about all I have to say about this game. So, uh, Several, well, there's a vampire in Terra Enigma and in Illusion of Gaia, so maybe they just like vampire bosses. Maybe they do. I can't remember if there's one in Soul Blazer. I... Oh, I'll have to check. The vampire so, boss in Terra Enigma is a real mofo. The the Bloody Mary boss in Scotland. Is that Bloody Mary? Oh, yeah. Lord, yes. Oh. That's a rough one. So, that seems like a good time for us to uh, start talking about uh, Terra Enigma, a the um, final piece of the Heaven and Earth trilogy that um, criminally only got a release in Japan and Europe, courtesy of uh, Nintendo of Europe. Um, this was something of a um, something of a well, definitely a capstone to the series, but something of a a combination of everything that they learned from uh, from. Actraiser as well as um, Soul Blazer and Illusion of Gaia. So and a triumphant portmanteau as well. Oh, definitely. So, uh, so Mike, um, tell me about your experience with Terra Enigma. Right. Um, I played it when I was sort of seeking out all of the Super Nintendo and Super Famicom RPGs I missed in the early 2000s, and played it because it was it showed up on a on a list from a sketchy website and was recommended. It went. Um, Nobody even... can be blamed for missing this one. It was just so right. unfair what happened with <laughs> and, this. Uh, and I didn't realize it was a sequel to Illusion of Gaia. I, I wasn't even aware that Illusion of Gaia was the second in a trilogy until years after playing um, after playing either of them. But it's it's super cool. I uh, At the beginning, it feels like more like an abstract Zelda game, and you're, uh, you're in an underworld kind of area, and you're quote-unquote reviving continents. 
And, and you're you kind know, of you're kind of like in hell, aren't you? It's yeah, it's a very when you when you leave that village for the first time and go to the world map, it's like wow. It's yeah, that is a really cool effect that I always loved. Yeah, yeah, it, it, the, the effect of sort of being in this sort of small but circular area and seeing the uh, the, the the sort of the um, the edge of the screen turn or uh, twist a little bit. It, that it mode was, yeah, yeah, it was, right. It was, like you're, go ahead, Hillary. Like you're what? Oh, sorry. <laughs> like you're under something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and it's, it's this weird. I think I remember it seeming frozen, but it's a. Uh, it, it's definitely some sort of dark underworld. I mean, your your little buddy is named Yomi, which I think means darkness or death or something. Mm. Uh, isn't that right? Uh, I believe a Yoma is uh, is darkness. Uh, I, think, I think I thought Yami was darkness and Yomi was death. Oh yeah, of course Yami Shibai. Yeah, of yeah, course okay. Yami. I'm, is. I'm, 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 confu- I'm confusing myself, but I don't I don't speak any Japanese, but. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yo, but, Yomi yeah. is Yomi is the Japanese hell in Shinto mythology. Right, and well, um, so you're in this hellscape, and completing these five dungeons, uh, like as you complete each one, it tells you that you've revived a continent, and it's unclear exactly what that means. But after mm-hmm. you finish Act One, you're uh, stranded. I be- I want to say you start in uh, South America, or I-, I think you start in the Americas. And I remember. I think Guiana. Okiana is early on, yeah, which would be, which would be, South which America. would which would be South America, because yeah, South they, America. I, think, I think the first dungeon is the Amazon in Act Two. So the in the dungeons in Act Two, you revive life on the planet. So first you um, first uh, in the Amazon dungeon, you revive all the plant life, and then in uh, I think in uh, in a dungeon in maybe in in Canada or North America, you revive all the birds, and then and it's Colorado. I Colorado, know okay, that's, I that's, that's, that's right. That's right. It's been a while since I played this. <laughs> But it, I grew but up like, there, so I was like, and, yeah. and well, this is this is weird. My uh, my my maternal grandmother was Guyanese, so it's, that's why I'm a, I'm a quarter South American. But the wow. uh, uh, well, Guyanese of um, of Portuguese descent, but whatever. So the uh, it, so in, in in the dungeons in Act Two, you revive the um, all of the life on Earth with the final dungeon in the Himalayas, reviving the humans. And after you complete that dungeon in Act Three, you uh, you find yourself in I, uh, in was it Nepal or Tibet? Um, shoot. Uh, you you find yourself in a in a, in a temple village in the Himalayas, and the world is populated by humans again. But in the, that chapter is called Resurrection of the Genius. You have to go and complete tasks in um, human settlements to guide progress of mankind, which is ties back to what we were talking about in Act Razor several minutes ago. So it's. You really are sort of this agent of change and revival of the world, and it's not really well explained to you why you're doing this or why this is happening until the very end of the game, where there's sort of a big twist and you have to, you know, challenge Dark Gaia again. Yeah, you get you get kind of an interesting little parallel and kind of hint that the two worlds are connected because you do see the continents being revived and at the same time. Everyone in your town is kind of frozen, so you're you're going to the first like initial towers to kind of free them right but at this yeah but at this, so it's kind of both at once hmm. so um how about that uh, how about that menu navigation in terra enigma mike well yeah, not my favorite part of the game um I, I, there's a lot of interesting things to say about terra enigma about sort of the story places it goes and it's l- playing fast and loose with the passage of time but 
Yeah, that game does not have great menus. It's kind of cool that you jump into this tiny box and talk to your, it's your a cool idea. Yeah, your buddy Yomi, but it's 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 really cumbersome. It's um if if there was a Terranigma remake or sequel, I would like for the the menus to be faster and smoother. I mean, they could have easily just used the um, aesthetics of being inside like this box room, but have like a traditional menu navigation and maybe like a button to talk to Yomi. Um, but um, but they didn't do that, and it's just so cumbersome, and it really doesn't have to be. But you know, that's a relatively um, minor complaint about um, quite a quite a gripping action RPG. Yeah, it's it's really really cool, and I should mention the dungeons themselves. Are, and this is true of Evolution of Gaia as well, to a lesser extent, are pretty imaginative and fun. Like, the, these are good uh, Zelda styles, since it's sort of like, uh, it's sort of um, a, a uh, top-down action with a lot of, you know, performing basic combat and puzzling to, and puzzle tasks to move on. But, like, the dungeons in Terranigma are cool and imaginative. My favorite mm-hmm. part of the game is probably Act 2. Maybe because I'm I'm simple-minded and just want to go through cool dungeons, but the, those are cool dungeons presented roughly in sequence. Well, mm-hmm. acts, well, acts three and four, you're going back and forth and finagling all kinds of stuff to move forward, and it wasn't always clearly for me how to uh, clear to me how to move forward, in, uh, especially in Act Three. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it does get very, hmm, uh, very. Uh, non-linear in the way that um, certain um, Super Nintendo RPGs did with um, backtracking to no real ends. Um, so maybe, maybe it didn't need to be quite as long as it was, but um, I think a lot of the notes that it hits um, thematically are um, very striking, not quite in the same way as Illusion of Gaia, but um, it's it, it feels like a fitting, uh, a fitting end uh, to this loose trilogy. Yeah, it, it's a really cool game. I, I remember the... Uh... Um, the team being a little bit, uh, uh, n- n- not confused by it, but the team being a little, uh, w- when they played it two years ago, being a little not always positive or always negative about it. But it's it's a unique game that doesn't really have, it, like like Illusion of Gaia, doesn't feel like any other game following it. Yeah, I, I sort of, I appreciate, it's, that's another way that it's sort of kind of similar to ActRaiser, though, because you have these different sort of gameplay elements coming together in interesting ways. You know, in ActRaiser, it's kind of sim and then platforming, and then in Terranigma, you've got the Zelda-style dungeons. It's pretty linear. You know where you're going to go for a while. And they are they are cool and imaginative, I agree. Hmm. But then you move, you move on to the next act where there's a lot of interaction with the NPCs. There were some times where I almost felt like I was playing something more along the lines of like a graphic adventure or something because you have to figure out where do I take this item? Okay, who mentioned this? Where do I need to go? Yeah, you gotta, right. help, you gotta help Edison invent the light bulb and then take the yes. light bulb back to Paris to, <laughs> so it can be the city of lights. And it, it, that's just one very simple <laughs> example of which there are a bunch in this game where what the things you have to do to to progress through and um, there you go assassin's creed quintet did it first (laughs) (laughs) so yeah okay will thinks he's an assassin but really he's with the templars all along or i'm sorry ark (laughs) isn't thinks he's an assassin he's with the templars all along and after he discovers this he decides he has to assassinate the right people in the final act of the game got it (laughs) terranigma is secretly assassin's creed zero so okay now that that's out of the way um you know, Hillary. One thing you mentioned how uh, how 
both ActRaiser and Terranigma ha have these almost disjointed gameplay phases. Because the four acts of Terranigma, while you're still arc and still running around and do performing the same basic actions, they they almost feel like four different games. <laughs> because because the goals you're accomplishing are different, and also the sort of flow of and linearity and approach of each of the settings that they're in is very different. And um, and ActRaiser takes place in very distinct phases where you have to do, um, you know, uh, stage, town, stage, six times, and then a bunch of boss fights. So I, I, you think that uh, Rob, do you think that's maybe a quintet thing in general where they they want to bring multiple types of gameplay or multiple approaches within each game, and as a result, they seem really unique and cool, but maybe disjointed. I'm, I'm trying to find a, uni uh, a, a unifying thread here, and I'm, but I might I be grasping at straws. No, no, I think you're absolutely correct, and I think that is what sets. Um, I think that is what makes Quintet's games stick out uh, from uh, from the other action RPGs that were, um, you know. Of the 16-bit era, there's um, they they are they do feel like master uh, master of uh, or <laughs> blah, jack of all trades, master of none in some cases. But the the ideas that they're juxtaposing, um, they're ones that are were at the time and still are just so rarely seen together. Um, you know, um, even is even in something as as an much of an outlier um, as uh, Robotrek that you know combines this sort of um, you know, top-down, uh, top-down traditional RPG with this whole, um, you know, building a robot and and then fighting strategy battles. Um, they, the Quintet seem to pride themselves on trying to think outside the box and trying to combine genres and, and um, you know, to varying degrees of success. Um, hmm. I think that's what makes, what makes ActRaiser 2 stick out is, you know, one that just like the one of the few games by them especially of of the 16-bit era that just doesn't have that characteristic um yeah I, I, but, it, it seems more and more perplexing i wonder if it, if there was yeah. some orders from above or something because if they made act razor 2 similar to act razor 1 but with gameplay refinements and new stages or even if it was basically the same as act razor 1 but with new but with different in a different setting um that i think it would be a much better received game than it is I, I wonder if there was some kind of you know backstage things that that or a, or budget cuts that forced it to be what it ended up being but i'm it, wondering if it was rushed or something that yeah or that like it, it would be it would be budget or time reasons i guess but every quintet game feels ambitious and feels like they want to blend at least two genres together Absolutely, and um, and That's absolutely and, true, and also feels unusually thoughtful because uh, like the ActRaiser games are are a god trying to protect and inspire his flock in a way, and the uh, Heaven and Earth trilogy have these unu are unusually uh, dark and thoughtful games, and I've used those both of those adjectives quite a lot this podcast that have these these unusual themes of human progress. I quintet games don't always feel like other quintet games but they always feel unique and interesting in ways that uh, frankly i don't see anymore hmm indeed this makes me, <laughs> absolutely this, indeed this, yeah this makes yeah. Me, this makes me want to play act razor again and give this robo trek thing a shot really i'm, I'm thinking of the beginning of of a uh, act razor when you booted up after after having you know, a file in progress and your little angel companion is basically like, well, I hope you're well rested. We need to, That's right, yeah. you know, 
do our best every day to do what we can to, <laughs> you know, bring peace to the world. You're right. Um, I forgot <laughs> that. Feel- when, <laughs> when you save your game, he wish he's your very polite angel companion. Wishes you a nice sleep, and when you load your game, he uh, he you know wishes you good morning and is very encouraging. Let's go back to saving the people and and guiding humankind. Uh, you feel like you're making you know important decisions and doing something meaningful. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it really is the combination of like a Castlevania-style action game, a the Sim City building game, and a you know weird non-linear space shooter. I don't. I, you you can't describe Actraiser without mentioning like three other games. It's crazy. Yeah. Oh, and I, I think the one last thing I wanted to mention about Terranigma, if if that's all right. Absolutely, please go right ahead. Is that some of the some of the surprising dark moments from? Soul Blazer and Illusion of Gaia. They're they're definitely still there in oh, Terranigma. Yeah. Oh God, mm-hmm. the, um, your your uh, your dear friend, D E E R friend in the Himalayas dungeon in Act Two. Uh, yep. Oh yeah. man, that that's a little bit of a tonal change from the you know that Lion King nonsense in the Africa oh, dungeon. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh. We go from Lion King to some serious, like, really upsetting survival in the Himalayas kind of scenario. <laughs> some very sorrowful things happening to animals in this trilogy. Yeah. I, I think they, the writers probably understand that many humans have, uh, ha- have deep appreciation and even affinity with the beauty of animals. So they do make you do horrible interactions with animals just to affect you. Hmm. I think so. I mean, it's... Um... It's a way to get a reaction, for sure. I mean, especially yeah. for me. I'm, I'm usually quite triggered by that kind of thing. With me, I mean, uh, this makes me sound like a, you know, like like one of my 55-year-old aunts or something, but I, I just can't watch dog movies. Oh, okay. you, you understand. It's like, oh, no, the animal's going to die, uh, and everyone's uh, going to be affected by it. I don't want this. Man, get me out of here. But like, Yeah, that's, that's not a good time. There's, there's <laughs> moments in Illusion of Gaia and Terra Digma where they are attacking the exact parts of my brain that, you know, dog movies will. Mm-hmm. Um, your, your point about um, genre bending would continue on to uh, Quintet's last title, um, 1999's Planet Laika, um, a Japan-only RPG for the PlayStation 1. Um, that, is, it, is it like Laika the... Uh, um, like Laika the space dog, yeah, and you the, play yeah, as the, a dog the, in space. Yeah, the Russian space dog. Huh, okay. Yeah. So it's 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 a game about a whole bunch of dogs in space. You're the titular Laika. Um, you're well. It's human bodies with uh, dog heads. I've only played a little bit of this, and my Japanese is just so bad. Um, you there's like this whole personality shifting um, uh, mechanic, a little bit like um, taking emotions in um, Nino Kuni, where you're like picking up enough oh. of an emotion to like. Uh, change into a either more thoughtful or um, more take-charge personality to solve puzzles. So, oh, so you, um, you, there's a renegade path and a paragon path, I see. I, yeah, I think it's just all one path. Though. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, never mind. My Mass Effect space analogy failed there. <laughs> and it, it's it's got this weird battle system, um, maybe a little bit like Apuna, but actually a little bit more like Breakout. Where you're um, mm-hmm. you're bouncing you're bouncing a ball against your enemies. Ah, so this is Kirby's Block Ball, but with space dogs. With space dogs in an RPG with adventure game moment with, with adventure <laughs> game elements. So, 
Oh my goodness. That's that's a weird as heck game. I, um, I would I would try this game, but the only Japanese character I can read is the heaven that appears on Akuma's back after he kills you with a Shungoksatsu. That's all you need. Yep. You, you can beat the game with that. Mm-hmm. Um, this one actually got quite a bit of coverage um, from mainstream games outlets when it was released. I, I don't know why, but um, GameSpot and IGN and everybody else, they were all talking about Planet Laika in Japanese for... for um, well, when it came out, and then not again after that. <laughs> um, well, no, it's it, it's a unique and thought and thought provoking concept, at least. So it's um, yeah. If you know, if if this hadn't happened before and came out in 2017, all the blogs would be giving a blurb about it. But uh, yeah, no, that this that's unique and interesting. Um, does it? <laughs> and I guess it does genre bend in the way other ones do, because you say you're saying that it has yes. adventure game and. And sort of uh, RPG elements, but most of the action is a sort of block ball alleyway breakout kind of game. Yeah, but I think it's got random encounters. Either that, or you, you get attacked on the map. But huh. yeah, it's this. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, this, this I'm confused as to how this better. game looks. <laughs> I need, I'll I'll need to do some research on my own later. It looks kind of like a survival horror game. It's got like a little bit of a Resident Evil thing going on, but like it's not scary. This is not clarifying anything. <laughs> <laughs> It's like Resident Evil, but not, and it's like Breakout, and <laughs> and you're a space dog, yeah, yeah and, you, and and you're gaining emotions. It's like, oh boy. Um, but that sadly that takes us to the end of Quintet. Um, they were one of the smaller development studios that, um, you know, much like um, Microcabin and Produce and and uh, and some of the others that just really couldn't make that transition to the 32-bit era. Um, so around the turn of the millennium, um, their subsidiary, uh, their subsidiary development team shade, uh, split off to become their own studio. Um, and they developed some malign games like Grandstream Saga, uh, which a lot of people call it like an unofficial sequel to Terranigma. But I played that game and I do not see that at all. Um, have either of you played that Grandstream Saga? Um, uh, I have not. Uh, no. Hillary, how about you? No. I, just see, I, I think I've seen it advertised. Picture. Yeah, uh, it was put out by THQ um, in the West. Oh. Um, it's 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 an odd game. I don't see the comparison. Um, maybe somebody who knows that game better than I do. Okay, okay, well, never mind. Uh, I, I was I thought you were talking about the Tear Ring Saga, which is a game you should not play. But uh, no, never mind. I, I don't know if Grand Team Saga at all. Uh, is Tearing Saga the Fire Emblem ripoff by one of the guys who worked on? Yeah, it's it's a Fire Emblem ripoff by the original creator of Fire Emblem, and it's it, it has like he the worst. He Oblivion, it, didn't he? Yeah, it has it has the worst parts of Fire Emblem, and it don't play Tearing Saga. Mm, yeah, I know. I never played that one, but I do remember the controversy. Uh, Shade also developed Orphan: Scion of Sorcery, one of those like launch PlayStation Two kind of action rpg i saw that on store shelves for a while it was around yeah exa- <laughs> it yes th- that is how i would describe it around um i bet shader still around today they mostly do kind of like odd licensed anime games um they co-developed the inazuma 11 uh, wii game uh with level five um and now they make like a lot of bargain basement fan service games like this cut rate Galgun clone. I can't believe I'm saying cut rate Galgun clone, but like they've, they've got a series called Bullet Girls and Gun Gun Pixies. Um, it seems that that's just what Shade do now. Um, whereas the the main movers and shakers like um, uh, Miyazaki and Hashimoto, they seem to have left the industry um, when Quintet shut down in in 2000. 
Um, so I, I know that like the fine folks at Hardcore Gaming 101, they've been trying to track them down for interviews and they just seem like they just seem like they vanished and they don't want to be bothered. And I guess that's fair enough. But um, some creators who were behind such legendary games and, you know, indeed created the Ease series, um, it would be nice to um, maybe get a little bit of um, retrospection uh, and like a postmortem of some of these games from them like 20 or 30 years down the line but you know if they if, they, if they're not into it they're not into it so or at least um, put them on the 3ds virtual console or something i mean come on yeah i mean those i guess the rights are everywhere i mean like turning has got what like e well enix has it in japan and nintendo has it in europe and but if they made act razor happen i don't see why they can't make um having an earth trilogy happen especially yeah. since two of those games were published by nintendo so i would like that so so much <laughs> I would happily buy those games again. Yep. I think that's a good place to cap off our discussion, guys. What do you think? Sounds good. Sure, go for it. All right. Um, thank you both very much for joining me. Um, I always relish the opportunity to talk about um, defunct 16-bit um, developers, and um, Quintet are indeed a very, very special one and one close to my heart. Um, if uh, if you listeners out there, uh, if you uh, have any strong feelings about Quintet or any of their games, do write in at uh, retro at rpgfan.com or, you know, any feedback um, on um, any any other developers who are close to your heart that you'd like to hear us talk about or just um, any comments on the show in general. You can find us there. Um, do uh, do leave us a uh, rating and a review on iTunes. Not a bad one. Leave us a good one um, because those really help. Um, we um, re reviews seem like such a small thing, but they really do um, help the podcast become more visible to uh, listeners throughout the world, like yourself. So um, we'd be most grateful if you could do that. Uh, coming up next week, the Retro Crew uh, are going to be tackling Digital Devil Saga 1, the um, PlayStation 2 2005 Megami Tensei title about a whole bunch of guys in a terrible world trying to figure out how they got there. Um, and uh, coming up after that, we've got some special surprise plans for you in November. So um, definitely stay tuned throughout autumn and winter. We'll have, have all the good stuff uh, in the, the retro world coming to you yeah, a, but, lot of, um, a lot of plans are in the works but at the time of recording this they're still brewing and we're not prepared to talk about them yet by the time you uh you're hearing this uh, we'll probably have the results of our um of our poll our uh, public poll that went live in september um or uh late august if i remember correctly um so you know you'll find out what that is before long i'm sure but um it, it, it's i think um they probably already know by now, but it's uh, but at this time of, of recording, the poll is still live. Oh, welcome to the future. <laughs> uh, so, Hillary, uh, where can people find you if they want to I... the web? Oh, I'm EP Fire on the boards, and I'm always happy to talk about Quintet or retro games in general. Uh, Mike, how about you? Uh, right. Uh, how people can reach me? Is that the question? That's the one. Okay, cool. Yeah, right. I am Monsoon on the forums. I'm at the real Monsoon on Twitter. Please hit me up with any game discussion, especially if it's about quintet or RPGs. And uh, I, and if you email retro at rpgfan.com, I am probably the one answering. So yeah, keep that in mind if you decide to write in. Who wouldn't want to email this guy? Come on, listen to how friendly he is. <laughs> 
As for me, uh, you can find me on the boards at Towns Carmarty, uh, and you can find me on Twitter at MissAnthroBob. And um, much like uh, my two co-hosts here, if you want to talk quintet at me, I would be absolutely thrilled to oblige. So that's us for this week, folks. Uh, and uh, we look forward uh, to you. Uh, we look forward to bringing you some more episodes next week. So um, we'll see you again soon. <laughs>